Yeah, my name's Tim. I just, I recognise there's so many, well, the irony is I don't recognise at all, because there's just so many new faces. Um, that if you, so if you've been around here for a long time and you don't know me, I apologise for me not being extrovert enough to come and say hello, but um, that's the introvert in me. But um, for those of you that don't know who I am, um, my name's Tim. I'm married to Melissa, who is probably watching this online at home because she's been fretting and pulling her hair out because I'm meant to be doing a talk and I was struggling to write it. And so um, she's probably at home. She's 25 weeks pregnant. And so I'm going to be a dad for the first time in November. Um, I've got no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I think most parents say that they don't as well. So that's fine. I take comfort in that. Um, and I'm also one of the youth pastors here at this church. And so I have the amazing privilege of being part of a team of um, really humble, uh, encouraging people who um, use their time to spend with young people. And our young people are brilliant. So if you don't know a young person in this church, um, please get to know one because they're amazing. And um, if they're anything like they are to me, they will keep you grounded um, and they will help you learn who Jesus is, um, lots and lots. So, that's a bit of me. Um, I'd like to refresh your memory of recent history. I wonder where you were on March the 23rd, 2020. Where were you? I was in my lounge, and I turned on the news, and Boris Johnson walked his way to the podium with two faces either side of him that I'd never seen or heard before, but now I feel like they're close companions. And he said that it was time to go into a lockdown and that we weren't sure how long it was going to be. Some of us thought two weeks and it'll all be over. Some of us thought we'd just get through Easter and it'll all be over. Um, but I don't know what your response was when you first heard the news that that was what was happening when the gravity of a pandemic really hit us in the face through a TV screen. Um, my, mine was fear. That, that was my reaction. Yeah, it, was, it was fear of the unknown. I, I very suddenly felt very out of control. And, and my fear led me to control. Um, my life felt like it was in danger of contamination from this disease that I'd never heard of before. And so I, I thought, well, I'll control that by, you know, I'll change to online shopping. I won't see people that I don't really know that well anymore. That's how I can control that situation. And then another fear came, and it was the fear of the reality of perhaps that my life was in danger of facing an economic uncertainty. And so I thought I could take control of that by trying to sell all the things that I don't really use, Maybe I could even stop the ways in which I'm giving away my money, maybe to church or other charities. That thought went through my head. My life was in danger also of losing loved ones. You know, my mum and dad, were they are in their 60s. They're vulnerable. My sister had just been... <laughs> sorry. Um... My sister, um, she's still alive, but she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, <clears throat> at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, she was going to and from her treatment. That was scary. I was in fear of losing my sister. And um, 
I thought, well, I'll control that by not seeing them until there's a vaccine and I'm vaccinated and they're vaccinated. And so in the midst of chaos, um, my response was fear. And the fear, uh, I'll get my act together in a minute. The fear led me to control. It led me to control. And you know, in the midst of chaos, fear is a natural response, right? And it's okay to fear. In fact, fear is good. It's a gift because it tells us that we're in a situation that we're not in control of and we might need to do something to be in control of a situation. And that's good. It's how God's made us to feel when we experience situations that are outside of our control. But like me, Fear, if we don't do the right thing with it, can lead us to a negative way of controlling our lives, right? And so we fear that our lives are in danger of lacking meaning. And so we control it by setting ambitious goals, like getting into the school that I want to get into, or the university that I want to get into, or the grades that I need, by getting that promotion, by making X amount of money. Maybe We fear that our lives are in danger of lacking intimacy and so we painstakingly create the perfect profile for people to swipe right onto. Or we go from one partner to the next quicker than you can say couple up. Or casa amor. I don't judge you if you watch that. It's it's okay. We fear that our lives maybe are in danger of lacking fulfilment and so we seek to control it by always being the person that goes on these amazing, outrageous adventures and we take pictures of it everywhere and then we post it on Instagram or wherever people see it so that we can communicate to everybody else that we live this incredible life. And then when we don't feel fulfilled, we go on the cycle again and we do it again. We seek to control our life. Maybe we fear that our lives are in danger of lacking community and so we seek to gain control by going to every party that we get invited to by giving in to the peer pressure. Maybe we fear that our lives are in danger of lacking joy. And so we seek to control it by surrounding ourselves with super positive people that see the best in everything all the time. But if, if that's a negative way of, using, of responding to fear, how else can we respond to our lives being in danger? How else can we respond to our lives being in danger? Well, to answer that question, I'd love us to look at a story in the Bible of Jesus eating some food with his friends. And we're going to go to um, Luke chapter 22, and it's in the New Testament. Um, So you'll have the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you've gone to John and Acts and Romans, you've gone too far, so you need to flick back or scroll back. Or just Google Luke chapter 22 and it will come up. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. um, And we're going to be reading verses 7 to 8 and then again 19 to 21. And I'm just going to help us understand what's going on in this passage of um, scripture that we're reading. And then try and help us to answer that question. How else can we respond to our lives being in danger? So verse 7, here we go. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Let's pause there just for a moment. 
in order to kind of get the context of what's going on here and what Jesus is about to do with his disciples, it's helpful for us to understand what the Passover was all about. Now, the Passover was instituted way, way back in the story of Israel in Exodus. So a few hundred years before this moment that we're reading. And what happened was Israel was trapped in slavery by an oppressor called Pharaoh, who ran something called Egypt. And they were very good at building pyramids. And the way that they built pyramids was they used slaves. And Israel were those, some of those people. But it wasn't home for them. They wanted to get out, but they couldn't. They were trapped by an oppressor. And so what happened was God sent a deliverer called Moses. And Moses, in a few conversations with Pharaoh, tried to get his people free from him. And Pharaoh wasn't having any of it. And so Moses prayed to God and God said, okay, well, to help you, I'll send plagues. And he sent 10 in total. And after each plague, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, that was really bad, that plague, wasn't it? Would you let us go now? And Pharaoh would think about it and then double back on his decision sometimes and then kept them. Until this moment where Moses, God said to Moses, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my last plague and it's going to be a pretty bad one. And what's going to happen is tonight, I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to, I'm going to literally pass over the place in which everybody lives. And if anyone has, um, the firstborn of every family is going to die. Unless, um, unless you paint the doorposts with the blood of a lamb that you've killed. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? And sometimes when we're reading the Bible, there's things that are so far from our modern day culture that it feels a little bit awkward. We like lambs, don't we? They're cute and they're fluffy and they're kind of warming. But in this instance, that's what God wanted the people of Israel to do. And so they did that. And guess what happened? That night, for those families, those Israelites that had done that and painted their doorposts with the blood of a lamb, their firstborn survived. But every Egyptian that didn't do that because they didn't believe in Israel's God, their firstborn did die. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And Pharaoh said, get out of here. I'm too fearful of your God and I can't deal with it. So run, go. You can go now. You're free. And so because of the Passover, Israel was free. God had saved them from their oppressor. And what happened was God said to Israel, once they'd finally escaped, um, because there was a bit of a chase on then, Pharaoh went, oh, we'll chase them, and there was the Red Sea and stuff. Um, and if you want to read that, read it. It's exciting stuff. Um, but what, what God said to Israel was, look, I don't want you to forget this moment. And so what I want you to do every year is, um, is to use uh, this meal, this Passover meal, to help you remember what I did for you all the way back um, when I first did it. And so year after year, generation after generation, yearly, this was, the, this, was the, this was the race week to Israel, right? Like hundreds of thousands of people, about, about 100,000 extra people actually, would walk into Jerusalem. They were big pilgrims. They would walk their way to Jerusalem because it was the, the instruction was this meal had to happen within the walls of Jerusalem, nowhere else. And everything within this meal wasn't there by accident. Every ingredient was there on purpose. It was a meal with a meaning. It was layered with meaning, right? Everything eaten in the Passover meal had symbolic significance. 
the bitter, they had something called bitter herbs. And that would recall to the memory the bitterness of slavery. And so for a child who'd never experienced slavery, he would be able to, in some way, shape or form, have a shared experience through eating the bitter herbs. The salt water that they drank as part of the meal remembered the tears shed under Egyptians' oppression. And the main course of the meal was a lamb. And this lamb was freshly sacrificed for every household. And what would happen was the the head of the household would choose the best lamb that they had, one without blemish, and would go to the the temple and and basically would lay lay their hands on the lamb and, and basically confess all the sins of that year onto the lamb. Some scholars think that they would literally lean on the lamb as if to say, I'm passing my sin onto this. And then as they were doing that, the priest then would slay the lamb. And the blood that would pour from the lamb was the thing that purified them before God. So there was this whole layer of meaning and that was the pinnacle of the meal because that would remind them that God's judgment had passed over their household that believed. It was a meal that carried a message. So let's return now to what we were reading in Luke, right? Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples. Remember, these are all Jewish people, right? And so this was expected of them, Passover meal. But Jesus in the midst of his own life being in danger. This was happening the night before he was going to be killed. And he knew it was coming. He knew that someone was going to betray him. In in the midst of that danger, he repurposes and re-engineers this Passover meal, the last meal that he would have with his disciples, in order to help them tell the next next chapter of of God's people, of the story that God was writing over, over his people. And so what he does in in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we read this. He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. With the hand of him, who is going to betray me, is with mine on the table. The Passover was a meal that remembered God's judgment of Egypt and God saving his people. And just as the Passover had been a meal that when ate was a remembrance of of Israel's exodus, Jesus' encouragement here that the disciples would re-perform this, this Passover meal in remembrance of him was a marker of a new kind of Passover. It was the next chapter in the story of God's people. Here, Jesus is preparing to die, which he knows will enable people to experience their own escape. But their occupying force wasn't Egyptians. Their occupying force, though physically and presently in this story, would be Romans. It wasn't the Romans. The occupying force of their hearts was sin. And notice that in this story, at this Passover meal, the author of this gospel and of every other gospel amidst the fact that there was a lamb at the dinner table. Why? 
Because, well, the lamb was there, but it was Jesus. He was the lamb that was going to be slain. He was the lamb that was going to take on the sin of his people and die so that his blood would purify and cleanse his people of their sin and allow them to escape the consequences of their oppressor. In this meal, we remember the truth that we cannot save ourselves. You and I, we are in need of a saviour. And other than saying yes to Jesus and what he did on a cross 2,000 years ago, we are out of control of our salvation. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You find life and life to its full. I believe you find meaning, intimacy, purpose, community, joy by participating in Christ's death. Jesus said this. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. It's a mystery. But we find life by receiving God's grace, by receiving what he did for us on a cross. Grace is a gift. We've done nothing to to earn it because Jesus has done everything that he needed to do for us to receive it. He did it on a cross. He died for you and me so that we could escape the consequences of our oppressor, sin. And so, how do we deal with this idea that our life is in danger? See, when you fear that your life is in danger of lacking meaning, receive the gift of God's grace. Let him have control. When you fear that your life is in danger of lacking fulfillment, receive God's grace. Let him take control. When you fear that your life is in danger of lacking community, receive his grace. Let him take control. When you fear that your life is in danger of lacking purpose, receive God's gift of grace. Let him take control. When you fear that your life is in danger of lacking joy, receive God's gift of grace. Let him take control. And so as part of church in this family and in many traditions across the globe, Christians regularly partake in something called communion. And we're going to do that tonight in a moment. And when we take the bread, we do as Jesus taught us. We remember his body broken for us. And when we take of one cup the wine, we do again, as Jesus encouraged us to do, we remember his blood shed for us. And we remember that it was our our saviour Jesus who died for us on a cross so that we might have life to the full. To the full. Not to halfway or three quarters of a way. 
but to the full. And so as I come into land, um, I'd love to provide an opportunity for people tonight who, um, Jesus, we've not, we've not allowed Jesus to have control of our lives yet. I'd love to do that. And the way that I'd like us to, to think about this, right, because I think we're all in that boat. In some way, shape or form, I, I think that tonight there's a moment here where we can all invite Jesus to take control. Perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the first time in a long time. Uh, and to do that, I want to um, shamelessly steal something I saw on YouTube this afternoon uh, by a guy called J. John. And now that I've told you that, I can talk you through the, with this with integrity, right? So it's not mine, it's someone else's, I've stolen it. But what I want you to do is imagine your life is a car, okay? A nice car. It could be a Lamborghini, it could be a Volkswagen Tiguan, is that how you say it? Tiguan? Tiguan? It could be a Volkswagen, I don't know what car, whatever your car is, imagine your life is a car, okay? Now for some of us, Jesus is outside of the car, and we've not invited him in yet. And if that's you, we're going we're gonna to pray together in a moment. But for many of us, Jesus is in the car. The question I want us to think about is, where is he? For some of us, Jesus is in the boot. And we drive here on a Sunday, and we get him out of the boot, and we walk him in. And then when we're done with him on a Sunday, we get him back in the boot, and we kind of ignore him for the rest of the week until it's the next Sunday. For some of us, Jesus is in the back seat. And he's kind of a little bit closer and he's kind of trying to tell us where to go, but really we're driving the car. So thank you very much, Jesus. We're going to go at this speed and we're going to go in this direction. For some of us, he's a little bit closer to us. He's, he's in the passenger seat and that's nice because he's like, he's by the side of us. He can guide us. He can help us slow down if we want to listen to him at times. He can help us see distractions again if we want to listen to him at times. You can see where I'm going with this, right? For some of us, he's in the driving seat. That's great. Well, like, well, if that's you, well done. But then I want to ask you, are you a backseat driver? You know, Jesus is driving you like, where, where are we going, Jesus? And he's like, well, we're going around Generosity Street, if that's okay. And you're like, no. I, don't, I didn't say we're going down Generosity Street. I don't want to go this way. And he's like, well, where, where are we going next? And, and he's like, well, we're going down Forgiveness Street next. Like, no, I'm not ready to go down there yet. Don't take me down that street. You, you get where I'm going with this, right? Where, where is Jesus in your life? How in control is he this, this evening, in this moment? We've had a really tough year. Fear has been at our doorstep for lots of different reasons. But here's a moment where, where before we participate in communion, when we remember what he did, Here's a moment to invite him to take control again. So that your fear wouldn't lead you to control, but would lead you to give control to Christ, to Jesus. Because he's your way out. He's going to lead you, guide you, protect you. So if that's you tonight, I'd love us to pray together.